Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for, and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I, of course, cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners, and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions, because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Good morning. Good morning. Haven't I haven't been in studio. I was saying to Tim, I haven't been in studio in, it has to be six weeks, eight weeks. I mean, I've we've been live, of course, but you've mostly been in studio, so it's kind of cool to be here. Feels a little bit foreign. Um, uh, yeah, it has been a while. Yeah. Um, all right. This morning, you know, it's that time of year, you know, lots of graduations, school wrapping up, um, kids graduating from high school, moving on to the next phase. And I thought it would be a timely um, show to talk about college, the cost of college, the affordability of college, et cetera. Um, so today's show, we're going to focus on how much college can you afford? I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to approach it from mostly from the parent's perspective, but also wanted to approach it from the perspective of a student um, graduating from school, carrying X dollars in loans and affordability of that too. So we're going to walk through some numbers and and sort of talk about, put things into perspective regarding earnings abilities and the amount of debt um, potentially, uh, that someone's potentially carrying. So, um, how much college can you afford? This is a call and talk radio show. If anybody wants to join us, 781-837-4900. If you have questions for us about this or really anything else of a personal financial nature, um, please join us. Okay. So I did a little, just sort of background information. I just did a little bit of research this morning regarding, 
the average cost of college, average amount of loans. I mean, of course, the numbers are all over the map, but I think it is good to use averages for lack of something better. In, so interestingly enough, but I guess not surprisingly, cost of college on average came down this past school year for obvious reasons related to the pandemic and, and institutions encouraging students to attend despite how different the academic year was. So I, I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming this could be like the first time ever that the cost of college came down <laughs> in a given year compared to years past. So um, I guess that's a little bit of good news, but still the numbers are high. I mean, you know, on on average across, well, the numbers that I was looking at, first of all, they were, the numbers I'm quoting right now are from U.S. News, and they separated tuition and fees and room and board. Of course, the numbers are all over the map, but average tuition and fees, not including room and board across the country for this past academic year were, for a private institution, were about $35,000. And it looks to me like room and board pretty consistently averages something like 12,000 bucks a school year. So you're talking about something on average about just a, just a shade under $50,000 for a private institution. That actually struck me as pretty low. I haven't heard, I don't know about you, Kirk, but I haven't heard um, uh, of a private tuition below 55, 60, 65,000 recently. So that actually struck me as a bit low and that, that didn't include public institutions. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. Pri were... Private seem to be yeah, kind of in that, at least from, you know, from what I've looked around in the, yeah, $60,000 range. I mean, yeah. you know, plus or minus. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I know somewhere upwards of 80 to 85,000 these days, but so that was on average. So private Again, that's not Massachusetts. That's across the country. Um, private institutions, tuition, fees, room and board, something in the 50000 per year range. In-state, I just looked at UMass, for example. So in-state, something like twenty-seven to $30,000 um, for a Massachusetts resident to go in-state. Uh, tuition, room, and board in Massachusetts. I went one step further and, and just looked at the average cost of Pub of public schools out of state. So you're attending a public school, but you're, you know, from out of state, obviously. Um, average tuition and fees about 20,000, 20, 21,000 plus room and board brings you to something like 35,000 um, versus in state, something like. I actually, yeah, I actually just I pulled up the UMass Amherst, um, you know, the current numbers. Yeah. So, like, this is this is the. The, for the upcoming years, so for the 2021-2022 year, uh, if you're in-state, tuition and fees is somewhere between sixteen and seventeen thousand, uh, yeah. and then the room and board is an additional fourteen thousand. Uh, so the total is about thirty-one thousand. Oh, okay. Uh, that's you know, so that's the total. You know, total. Assuming you don't get any any help or whatever, but that's the total sticker price uh, for in-state. And then for if you're out of state, going to UMass Amherst, tuition and fees is like thirty-seven thousand. Room and board is the same, fourteen thousand. Uh, so for a total of fifty-one thousand. Oh, okay. Wow, that's a lot. That's hot. That's a lot higher than the national average. Then. Um, yeah. So some yeah. are certainly higher, and I and I think I remember last year when I was kind of poking around looking at um, you know some like sort of like quote unquote you know big name um, you know state schools. 
that are popular for you know that attract you know lots of people from around the country and and one of the highly ranked ones was uh, you know University of Michigan mm-hmm. uh, and I and I and yeah and their number was was around fifty thousand for for out of state mm. uh, you know the, the total sticker so that you know roughly the same of what you know what UMass is charging for out of state yeah all right so those are just averages for, you know of course what every family pays is going to be different we'll talk about that a little bit in terms of um awards etc merit-based um awards grants and things like that i went and i poked around at i I feel like i don't find really good data about the average amount of student loan debt i mean there's a lot of numbers out there it just seems it seems a little bit low i guess the I, i guess the national average amount of student loan debt for graduates is about thirty thousand dollars I don't know if you're finding anything different, but I found a decent article that broke that down, however, based on um, degrees. So I found an article, let's see, it was on nerdwallet.com. Let's see, they're saying that 62%, this actually, I'm sorry, these statistics are from about two academic years ago, so 2019 graduates. 62% of the class of 2019 graduated with student loan debt. And the average student loan debt was about $29,000. This is a couple years ago. And then it goes a little bit further to say the average U.S. household with student debt owes about $57,500. So the average amount for one student, 30-ish thousand, average household student debt about 57 to 58,000 of course you know factoring in multiple kids and i'm assuming factoring in the fact that sometimes it's the student carrying the debt and sometimes it's the parent carrying the debt um, so adding those together so this nerd wallet article actually broke it down also by degree which was kind of cool so Um, I'll just go through a few of these numbers because some of them are staggering. Of course, when you get into the medical school numbers, um, the average amount of debt for someone obtaining a bachelor's degree was at uh, 29,000. Average debt for for graduate school, 71,000. Average amount of law school debt, 145,000. Average... Uh, M- MBA, I guess, a different type of graduate school, MBA, 66,000. Average amount of medical school debt, $201,500. Unbelievable numbers. Dental school was even higher. Average amount of dental school debt, $292,000. Pharmacy school, about 180000 And then last one was veterinary school, also about 180000 So some crazy, crazy no. staggering no. numbers. Now we know why those, uh, why the kids' braces were so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, obviously earnings abilities, di- you know, increase with, with advanced degrees and all that stuff. So, so putting it into perspective, it, you know, and comparing it to earnings abilities, you know, different story, but just some crazy numbers to just look at the numbers. Crazy, scary, in, in fact. So... Then I went um, and I looked at, I tried to pull some information regarding average salary of a graduate. And of course, you know, I didn't break it down by um, area of focus, you know, I I didn't break it down by career choice, et cetera, but just across, you know, just a broad national average. Um, And this was very recent data for 2021. I found some information on ZipRecruiter and some information on Indeed about averages. 
So average salary for a new graduate is about, based on the information I'm seeing, forty six to $50,000 per year. So I, I don't know if I, we should do it now or, or we can do it a little bit later in the show, but I, I wanted to... I wanted to really analyze the life, the financial life of the average graduate in terms of their, you know, their earnings abilities and the average amount of student loan debt they might carry. And then I was sort of playing around with the numbers, of course, because that's always fun for me. So I, I guess we have time. We could we could jump into that right now just because I thought that was um, kind of fun. So what I did was, and I was helping um, a client do this. My, I have one client whose son is going off to college and he was helping him do some analysis regarding, you know, choosing the school. And, and you know, uh, he had a spreadsheet of, you know, the different schools and the packages awarded and, and the total cost to attend and the total, total projected of a projected amount of loans that the student would graduate with and all that. And so I, I was helping him go like a little bit further and also put it into perspective for the student in terms of what will your financial life and your spending abilities be when you graduate with certain amounts of debt. And I th and that's something that we focus on too when we do the money fair, or we try to anyway. We try to, you know, of course, the whole intent of that is for them to pretend that they're uh, a working adult with, you know, financially independent and, and putting things into perspective about how much life costs. We always wrap in uh, some lessons in there regarding uh, carrying debt, particularly student loan debt, just because it can be so substantial in terms of the amount. So I went through and I put together like a budget worksheet of sorts where I was basically just um, using an average salary. I used 50,000 average salary for a graduate. And I just took things right off the top and was backing into what someone would be able to spend and have them really, you know, the point would be to really think about what kind of a life can I have if I only have this much money per month to live on after I have to pay my student loans and it, maybe I'm paying those for five or 10 or 15 years. So it's really supposed to be um, some perspective. And of course I love playing with numbers. So I had a lot of fun doing this spreadsheet this morning. So I did one at, I, I just did one at the average 30,000 and then I wanted to do one with a higher amount. I just happened to use 80,000. Um, just thinking, I don't know, thinking through well, we'll get to that in a second. All right, so I didn't share just, this with you, Kurt. I'm sorry, I'm, just, I'm laughing myself about nothing, nothing like a little early morning spreadsheet. Work. Yeah, I know. And last night was just, I couldn't sleep. And I was literally up at about 4.15 and drinking my coffee and I'm doing some spreadsheeting. Uh, it was just one of those nights. So one of those early mornings, just me and the, just me and the dogs hanging out in the kitchen and my oh. coffee and my spreadsheet. Yeah, most people most people probably have nightmares about Excel and <laughs> you're, you're in the other camp. Yeah. You, yeah. Dreams about Excel. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So let's, we're going to start off with an analysis for a recent graduate making 50000 per year. We're pretending this person carries the national average of a, in my opinion, fairly reasonable $30,000 in student loan debt. So I took 50000 and I took right off the top FICA taxes, which is Social Security and Medicare, 7.65%. So right off the top comes 3825 bucks. I'm doing it annually and then I'll back into a monthly amount. So 50000 
we got to take away 3825 for what we call payroll or FICA taxes, which is Social Security and Medicare. I actually did a little bit of a, a tiered tax analysis to kind of get a pretty good number about what, what a single filer making this much money would pay for, would pay in federal and state taxes. So I'm estimating that at about 6000 bucks. someone that makes $50, $6,000 in federal and state taxes. I'm having this person put 10% into his or her 401k. This person's going to be very responsible and put that 10% right off the top. So that's 5000 bucks. I'm also having this person, again, try to be very responsible and tuck a little bit of money aside in savings. So I took 200 bucks a month or 2400 a year off the top, and I'm pretending that this person is like building a little savings account because that would be prudent and responsible adulting. So I took that right off the top, and then we get down to the loan payment, and then we get down to what is left for this person to make a life with. So first I started with a 15-year payment plan on the 30000 in debt. So the payment is fairly reasonable, 275 bucks a month, not bad. But again... What, what, uh, what interest rate are you using I on the I think I used 6 or 7%, thinking that they were... Which I think is in the ballpark um, for mostly private loans. Maybe it's a bit lower for some federal loans. So okay. maybe it's 225, 250 if the interest rate's lower. So anyway, I'm structuring the, the this first example as a fairly reasonable, in, in terms of the monthly payment, fairly manageable, 250, 275 a month. Um, but, the, but it takes 15 years to pay off the debt at that pace. So this person is not 22 anymore. They're 37 when they finally get rid of this 275 bucks a month. That's a long time to carry debt. And so for this person that takes a 15-year payment plan, they're making 50K a year. They're paying their student loans, but they're going to carry them for 15 years. Their student loans are reasonable, 30000 a year. They have $2,456 a month to spend on, you know, rent, food, car payment if they have one, phone, utilities, going out, dining, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they have $2,450 a month. And then I just did a couple more examples. So I'm like, okay, well, what if this person wants to pay, wants to be, try to be a little bit more aggressive and pay off that loan in 10 years? So to pay off 30,000 in 10 years, about 350 a month. So now they're down to, they have 2,300 or 2,375 per month to spend. If this person wants to be even more responsible and try to whack that student loan down in five years, they're gonna pay 600 bucks a month to do that, something in that range. And now they have, only $2,100 to spend on everything else in their life. To me, that just doesn't sound like a lot. I get that at that age, you can be living with friends and splitting rent, et cetera, and stuff like that. But if you've got a car payment, um, you know, it, 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 and if your rent's a thousand bucks a month, I mean, wh there's just not a whole lot left there. And I think what some you know, and, and again, this is a fairly reasonable amount of student loan debt on average graduating salary. Now, of course, what I didn't factor in is over that five and 10 and 15 years, hopefully that person's earnings have increased, you know, at least with cost of living, if not with advances in, in their role, et cetera. I didn't take it one step further, but I think the, the point there is that that's not a lot of money to live on and it might not afford them a, a life that they're really looking for. Um, and again, I know it's hard for 18 and 20 year olds to, to 
have that sort of perspective, but but I think, you know, parents sort of walking their students through this exercise of, yeah, you could have, you know, you, you're going to have 2100 2400 bucks a month to live on, but rent is, you know, this, even if you're splitting an apartment with, what, three, four people, you're still going to pay, I don't know, what, five, six, eight hundred, a thousand bucks a month in rent. So I think that's some interesting perspective. And then I went one step further. We've got a few more minutes, so I'll go um, over my next example. I wanted to illustrate this with a higher amount of student loan debt just because, I mean, it just seems to me that there's a lot of people that are carrying some pretty substantial amounts. And so I modeled it at 80,000 a year, which is basically a student borrowing $20,000 a year. So, I mean, if you think about it, if the, the you know, somebody goes to UMass, for example, and mom and dad can kick in 10,000 a year, and then they're borrowing 20,000 a year, they're gonna walk out with 80,000 in loans. Or it's someone who's, you know, going to a private school at 60,000 a year and, you know, maybe mom and dad have some college savings and they're they're able to pay up upwards of 40,000 a year and the student's borrowing 20,000 a year to, to make it work. Um, so I just wanted to moderate, model it with a higher amount, which is, I think is quite fair that a lot of people might walk out with, you know, yeah, 60, 70, 80,000. Yeah, I, I don't think talking about 80,000 is, uh, I'm sure that situation happens fairly, you know, fairly, uh, Fairly often, uh, yeah. so I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think talking about it. I don't think that would uh, anybody would think that that's too crazy. So, yeah. yeah. So I did the same thing where if someone is walking out with, again on an, with eighty thousand dollars a year in student loan debt, which is borrowing twenty k per year, which is like what the federal the plus loan plus you know another what 10, 15,000 per year and the, and then the plus loan. So if someone still is making that average of 50,000 per year and we take off the top federal, state and FICA taxes, savings to a 401k and some responsible savings, you know, to to build a cash position, then what's left if this person has $80,000 in debt? First of all, I just wanted to add up the federal, state, the federal, state and FICA taxes on 50k, I think come to about almost $9,000. So that's, yeah, a little bit less than less than 20%. Oh, two more minutes. I don't know if we're gonna have time to go through this. So I have on my spreadsheet here, 38.25 for payroll taxes, 6,000 for federal and state taxes, $5,000 for this responsible young adult uh, putting money into their 401k at a rate of 10%. And then I also have them tucking a couple hundred bucks a month. Maybe that's optimistic, but a couple hundred bucks a month into a 401k. So someone right off the bat making 50,000, that's over $17,000 per year right off the top. So you're, we're working with, you know, I, I think people forget how those things add up, which is why I love math so much. Cause you can see right here on my beautiful spreadsheet, how they add up. Um, all right, so we'll, after the break, we'll come back and, and I'm gonna walk through that same scenario where they take 15 years to pay it off and then 10 and then five and back into what does this person have in order to make their life work while they're working down the debt. So I think it's really, really good perspective. Um, but we have to take a break in a minute, so I will stop there and 
and save those very interesting numbers till after the break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by Kirk Reed, and we're walking through, uh, we're having some discussions today about how much college can you afford. We're right now talking about it from the student's perspective, but we're, of course, going to talk about it from the parent's perspective and working it into your retirement plan and borrowing from the equity in your home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, 781-837-4900 to call in and ask questions this morning. We're just taking a break and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined hopefully momentarily by Kirk Reed this morning. Um, and we are talking about how much college can you afford? I don't know. I was going to say the age-old conversation, but maybe that's not uh, true for everybody. But I certainly have a lot of conversations about this with my clients that have kids of varying ages and um, it's very financially stressful for many people and um, we just wanted to talk through today I don't know and put things into perspective for um, the student and just sort of talk through some things to think about regarding I guess how to pay for college but also putting things into perspective and working it into a retirement plan when someone maybe takes on some debt in order to pay for college, fairly common for someone to maybe borrow from equity in their home or take lo- and or take loans to get things uh, kids through school. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just wanted to, you know, bring up the conversation regarding how it potentially impacts the retirement scenario and, and something that we work with um, on our clients who are going through this um, stage of life. So, just before the break, we started and we'll wrap up now. Just a quick analysis. I think for the benefit, well, for the benefit of the student who's potentially uh, going to walk out of school with some student loan debt and, and wanted, you know, not that many probably high school students are listening to the show, but if parents are, then this might be a helpful exercise for you to, you know, walk them through the numbers in terms of, okay, if this is what you can make when you get out of school and you're carrying this much in debt, this is what your ability to spend is. And and does that allow you to live in a, you know, lovely apartment in Dorchester? Or does that mean you're living at home for a while? Or, you know, just, just what does that mean? So, we walked through an example with the national average student loan debt of 30000 but I wanted to do, of course, a more impactful exercise and walk through a scenario where someone carries $80,000 in student debt, so they borrowed twenty k per year to get through four years of school, and we're assuming that they're, they're making the, the rough national average of 50000 per year as a recent graduate. So for this person... Again, we talked about how $17,000 comes right off the top for federal, state, and payroll taxes. And, well, that, that right there was about $9,000. Um, but, but I am assuming this person is going to be responsible and put 10% into his or her 401k, which is great behavior um, for a new graduate to get into the habit of, of you know, foregoing 10% of their gross paycheck in in favor of saving for their future. And I'm also taking a little bit off the top for 
banking some money for down payment on, you know, even if it's first, last, and security deposit for whenever they move out or, you know, down payment on a future condo home, etc. All right. So 15-year payment plan on $80,000 per year of student loan debt. And again, I, I can't remember if I used 6% or 7%, Kirk, but that's about $750 a month toward the loans to work that down in 15 years. So this person that makes 50K a year and has to pay 750 bucks towards student loans and carries those loans until they're late in their late 30s because that's a 15-year payment plan. They have on their $50,000 salary, they have to spend about $1,980 per month, which is pretty small. Um, and I'm going to go through two more examples, but actually before I get there, we're going to go to our, our caller because we have Chris on the road. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. What's going on? What can we do for you? I love your show. I, I love the, the spreadsheet analysis, and I don't think it's used enough, especially with the demographic you're talking about. Um, I have the benefit of managing um, folks that come out of college about a year into their careers, oh. and none of this stuff is talked about from my perspective, not, not at my level. Not really a lot of kids bring this to my attention uh, when they're coming out of school, and I just think it'd be great to share the models that you made with them, first of all, and then secondly... Um, to be make them aware of that. And I think that in the landscape of today's market now, after COVID, excuse me, we're seeing, you know, a lot of the ability to work from home. And I think that reduces that overhead expense for them and makes mm. living more realistic. Oh, and fair enough. I yeah. just really liked your, I liked your models and I wanted to share them with, with, my, with the people that I work with directly. Yeah. And are you a recruiter or are you just talking about you, ha- you hire new grads in your business or... I, I hired you grads in my business. I work for a major software company, and cool. they come into our company, and then they, you know, kind of graduate into my role. Yeah. And, and you know, I, it's really good to see them planning like this. And if I can share that example, yeah, it makes them more successful, and it makes, you know, them, they have a better, you know, quality of living. Chris, you just warmed my heart. Yes, absolutely. So if you want to, thank you for the call. I really appreciate it. I, I, I agree this, like, isn't talked about enough with young people. And one of my passions is trying to get this information out to young people, you know, generally via their parents and the show. But we do a we do an education fair at the high school, too. Um, if you want to leave your contact information, Chris, with Tim, who answered the phone, um, I will follow up with you after the show. I mean, my spreadsheet is fairly simple, but it, but the numbers are the numbers and they're impactful when they're in front of your face. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to share that with you and I can follow up after the show. Yeah, and I, and I know this will make an impact and, and I'm going to give a shout out to your example of the UMass grad because I've seen a lot of UMass grads and mm-hmm. a lot of these kids are hard workers and we want to get them to a good quality of life and they do carry a lot of debt sometimes and yeah. uh, this is a really good way to, to look at it, especially before going in and even if you can get to maybe some of their siblings before they, they take a yeah. career choice, uh, that would be helpful too. So, yeah, awesome. You. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for the call, Chris. I'll follow up with you. Take care. All right. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Kirk, did you see how big my smile was when he was talking about how much he loved my spreadsheet and we don't do it enough on air? I know, <laughs> I know. You're going, you're gonna, you're gonna take that and run with that. Yeah, that. yeah. My dad years ago, of course, the founder of our show years ago said, "Numbers don't make for good radio," and I'm like, I beg to differ. I'm, I'm going with my gut here. I think numbers make for good radio. 
Um, you know, I think I think if you're if you're passionate enough about the numbers, then you can make it work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that goes a long way for me. Um, but yes, that's I appreciate that call, Chris. And again, I get, I get that talking about the numbers maybe isn't as impactful as seeing them. But I'm gonna go a little. I'm gonna go two steps further with this exercise with this student making um, making fifty thousand a year and carrying 80,000 of loans. So remember, if they choose the 15-year payment plan, their amount to spend monthly is only 1,900 bucks, 1980 actually, a little bit less than $2,000 a month. Again, this assumes they're being very responsible and putting money in their 401k, tucking a little bit of money aside in savings. And you know, those are good lessons to learn right there. You know, the other lesson is that $1,900 doesn't buy you a whole lot in New England, especially in the Boston area on the South Shore and in the city and, and all that. And that's carrying the loans for 15 years. So if if someone wants to be a little bit more, I don't know if this is more or less responsible, I guess I would say more responsible, and try to pay the loans down in 10 years, so they're still in their 30s when this when they're still carrying this loan, that's $1,000 a month towards $80,000 in debt to have it gone in 10 years. So now they're spending their, discre- I don't know, I guess their discretionary spending money monthly is now $1,700 a month. And if they wanted to have the loans gone in five years, I don't know if they were maybe lived at home, worked really hard, whatever, and could whack the loans down in five years, that's $1,600 a month to make an $80,000 debt disappear in five years. Again, that's a seven, I don't know if it was a six or a 7% interest rate. Yeah. Um, so, and just, you know, one other, one other angle to, to, to think about. And so I, I, I was running some numbers at 7%. So these yeah. are based on 7% with okay. the $80 loan coming mm-hmm. out of school. And just as far as you know, the interest that you pay based on those different time frames. And so, if yeah. you if you do if you do it over the fifteen years, you know you have that lower monthly payment, you know, which which helps with cash flow. Uh, but if you look at you know the interest that you pay over that, you would pay. Let's see, two. Uh, well, the, well, I'm sorry. Well, the total the total that you pay would be one hundred and twenty nine thousand. You know, versus versus the eighty thousand dollars that you so owe. That's fifty thousand dollars in interest right. in the fifteen years. Um, and then if you if you were to accelerate it and do it and pay it back over 10 years, you know, it's going to be yeah, bigger monthly payments, which is going to, you know, hurt a little more uh, cash flow wise. But the the total payment is now one hundred and eleven thousand. So it saves you, you know, it saves about eighteen thousand dollars in interest yeah. um, if, you, if you pay it back in 10 years versus the 15. That's still crazy, though, because that's. Thirty thousand dollars in interest. Well, that's at seven. That's, that's at seven percent. Yeah, yeah, seven percent. I, you know, I was looking right now. It looks like it looks like the direct. You know, the plus loans right now are actually five point three is what they're projected to be for this coming year. Okay. There's some, there's some origination. There's some origination fees and things, and I couldn't quite figure out how to factor that into yeah. the overall. Uh, so, maybe, yeah. What about? But I was factoring in that some of these loans might be private loans, right? Okay. And so the interest rate on that has got to be six or seven percent, right? I mean these. Who, who's, so, yeah. who's loaning money to a kid with no, you know, credit history? Of course, their parents are co-signing, but yeah. So um, there, yeah, there certainly are some variables. I mean, yeah. So seven's not crazy. I mean, it, it, that's certainly a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's fair average. Yeah, and then the la- so the last example is if this if this new graduate wants the debt gone in five years, yeah, they save a bunch of interest, but they got to work really hard to pay that down. Sixteen hundred bucks a month to make eighty thousand go away in five years, and then again after federal, state, FICA, 401k, savings, you know, paying off their loans. They've got $1,130 a month left. They make 50 grand a year. 
they've got $1,130 a month left. I mean, the numbers are crazy. That What can you do with that? I mean, this person obviously is, you know, motivated, wants to get rid of it. Um, maybe they're, you know, they're living better. at home for a while, but... They're gonna yeah. get they're gonna get real cozy with mom and dad maybe. Real cozy, yeah. <laughs> if you want your kids to move out when they're graduated, show them these numbers. Um, you know, put things into perspective for them. Um, so yeah, I just I think that that's a very valuable exercise. Again, this is like almost this is a very skinny down version of what we do at the Smart Money Fair that we didn't get to do this year at Marshfield High, but we'll resurrect that next year. Is a very sort of simplified version of that where they're not making decisions about, you know, where their other monies are spent, but where it's just sort of backing into this is your debt. Here's what you can spend. Good luck. Try to see if you can make it work. That would actually be an interesting way to approach the fair uh, if, you, if we were just, yeah, I, it's, I guess it's sort of what we do, but... Um, a little bit a little bit backwards anyway i digress so that's interesting happy to share that spreadsheet with anyone um you can email questions at mcnamaraonmoney.com um and i can respond with this spreadsheet again it's very basic but the numbers are the numbers and we did a whole show once kirk on numbers speak louder than words and in my world that is the case all right so um i wanted to move on from that a little bit and talk about well, I guess from the parents' perspective, yeah, from the parents' perspective. So I think the first step is, this will be fun too, because this is this one is um, playing with numbers as well. We're going to play around with the expected family contribution calculator. Um, so Kirk, you should pull this up on your screen as well. The one that I'm using, which I think is just like a very easy to use one, there's not a whole lot of inputs. It's not perfect. It's an estimate. Um, to back into what your expected family contribution is when you fill out the FAFSA. And I guess that's changing in a year or two anyway, but we're going to play around with some numbers. So the, the, excuse me, the one I pulled up is on savingforcollege.com, a fairly reputable website for information regarding saving for college and getting your kids through college financially. Um, so there's a financial aid calculator on savingforcollege.com. The, there are fairly few inputs actually fairly few mandatory inputs so i was let's play around with some numbers again we've already established how much fun that is so i'm um creating a scenario where this is a married couple roughly age 50 getting their first of i don't know two or i guess it doesn't really matter first of two or three children through college um, and they're applying, and they're filling out the um, FAFSA, and they're we're gonna we're gonna back into what their expected family contribution will be. Of course, an estimate. So this model that I've created, did you pull up the website too, so you can do the calculations with me, Kirk, and make sure I yeah, okay. yeah, I have it there, yeah. Okay, so this is a married couple. <clears throat> Again, both I'm just saying uh, both age fifty. They have one student that's going to be in college. So let's assume this is the oldest student. They have, I guess I just put five people in their household. So this is one of three kids. They are in Massachusetts. They're married filing jointly. Again, these are just some of the inputs in the calculator. Um, I have that the uh, one, one spouse makes 150000 per year and the other spouse makes 75000 per year. So their gross earnings are about 225000 
Um, the software is going to ask you for adjusted gross income. I used 200000 for that, thinking that um, maybe they're putting some money in a 401k or a 403b, so that comes off the top. The adjusted gross income is a line item on your tax return, so if you're filling this out, you can just go and look for that. Um, I forget what, it's on the first or second page of the 1040. It's right there toward the bottom, your adjusted gross income or your AGI. It's ru it's roughly your gross income, but I believe, but I'm pretty sure retirement contributions, 401k, 403b, IRA, come right off the top. So I'm using adjusted gross income, 200,000, but you know, gross income from work, 225 between um, husband and wife. Um, some of the other things I'm leaving blank, Kirk, like child support, I'm leaving that blank, no untaxed income. I, it does ask you for federal income tax paid. Again, that's of course just a line item on your 1040, your tax return. Um, I ballparked it at $35,000 for this married couple making 225. Um, and then we're, so I'm sort of modeling um, a couple that has most of their assets in retirement accounts. So retirement plans, 401ks, IRAs, rollovers, 403Bs, simple SEPs. Those are not, at least currently, uh, declared on the FAFSA as an asset. Retirement assets are excluded. You do have to declare bank cash, other investment amounts, and real estate that's not your primary residence. So I'm assuming this couple has $50,000 in cash, and $50,000 like in an investment account. They have some stock somewhere that's not in a retirement account. And then um, and then college savings, like 529 plans, it looks like that's a, that's a separate section. That is a separate section. For a minute, I'm gonna put 200,000 in there. Let's assume that this couple was, you know, pretty good. They saved some money in 529s. They've got three kids. And at this point, they've got 200 grand tucked away and earmarked for college for the three kids. We're gonna play around with that field because what, because one of the things I hear is, Oh, why am I even saving for college in this 529? It's counting negatively against me when I fill out yeah. the FAFSA. Yeah. But I, I want to discredit that uh, yes. frustration. Yes, let's, put, let's <laughs> debunk it's, that it's, one. It's yeah. always better to save money for college than not. Yeah. Um, okay, so they've got a hundred grand in assets outside of retirement, like between bank um, and so just, 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 you know, just to talk about that for a sec, because that that's one that, you know, that comes up all the time. And, you know, it's... I guess it's a little frustrating, but you know, because if you if you don't have, you know, if you the less assets you have, okay, so maybe maybe you qualify for more aid. That aid is not free. I mean, it's it's just more loans. Um, you know, so it's not like it's not like they're going to give you more money. Uh, I mean, potentially they could, but they're not going to just give yeah. you. They're not going to give you free money. Uh, you know, because you have you don't have enough assets. They might just they might just give you more aid. Which, which in most cases just means you know access to more loans, uh, and so it's not like it's it's not you know it's not saving you, you know there are potential, but I mean most of that stuff is merit based yeah. and you know scholarships and things like that. Um, so you just have to be very careful that you're understanding the, the total picture. That you know by by getting more aid, it doesn't necessarily mean free aid. Right. Very very distinct difference there. Right. Right. Um, I actually had a discussion with a client who we were having this conversation with this particular person um, due to some unforeseen circumstances has a lot of money in non-retirement assets. Not 
not a lot of money in retirement assets. So we're earmarking a lot of this money for retirement, but technically it's not retirement money. So when we're having these conversations as her kids get into the high school years about, you know, what can we do about this and how this will impact your, um, potent, your, your, you know, ability to receive potentially awards and receive loans for the kids. Um, but yeah, this person is, I think it's institution dependent. Um, and this person was, I, you know, I recommended that they have a conversation with a financial aid, uh, consultant in this regard, because we're having, we're talking about potentially tucking a bunch of money in an annuity or an insurance policy or something where it's, you know, uh, off the shelf here, but we wanted to make sure we weren't doing that if they're just going to have to take more loans, right? And, and it's not going to translate to, um, some actual aid. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a really, really good point. There are financial aid, you know, consultants out there that will consult hourly on stuff like this. We had, um, we had that, we had a, a, f a company in Massachusetts on the show, I guess it was last year and we're hoping to have them on again in the fall. The company is called Vested Academics and they did have a financial aid consultant. Uh, we had him on the show. We're hoping to have him again. He was great. Um, he does, they, I know they do some, you know, sort of hourly consulting for things like this. Very, very worthwhile for certain situations um, <clears throat> to help understand, well, what's the impact of this, right? Are we just borrowing more money at 7% or are we actually going to get some, you know, right. awards if we, if we position things, et cetera. Um, okay, so back to this example. So this person has, you know, a, maybe they have, you know, they could have a million dollars in retirement assets, but that's not declared on this form, the federal application for financial aid. Um, but we're putting 50,000 of cash, bank, uh, bank cash, 50,000 of investments, and they are good little doobies and they saved a couple hundred thousand dollars and 529s for their kids. Um, and then there's a section on the student and, you know, student income, student assets. I'm assuming that the student, you know, has zero to very little assets. You know, maybe they have some money in the bank, but I just called that zero. Um, for student income, I put a couple thousand bucks. You know, maybe they have a summer job or something. They made a couple thousand dollars. Um, I put zero student federal taxes paid. And cost of attendance, I put $60,000. So I'm assuming this is a private school. Maybe they're, maybe it's, it's 60,000 per year. Um, and then, so that's fairly few inputs. And then we hit calculate. And again, several of those inputs you're going to find on your tax return. Um, and this, this actually website, again, this is savingforcollege.com federal, sorry, financial aid calculator, which estimates the EFC or expected family contribution. Um, it's fairly easy to read. And there's like these little info bubbles, you know, that help you explain like, like under real estate, it's, you know, make sure you're not listing your primary home. It's just, if you have an investment asset, um, so it's pretty helpful in terms of what am I filling into these boxes? Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to, I mean, I, I think you already mentioned it, but just to reiterate that this, this website, uh, savingforcollege.com is a, you know, is an excellent resource mm -hmm. for, for somebody that just kind of wants to do some reading on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and it's, I mean, it's, there are, there's tons and tons of information on this website about, uh, you know student loans, applying for student loans, you know, saving for college, uh, you know, investment, investments related to college. It's, it's a very good, very good website. Yeah. They do have a lot of really good information. Um, and the other one is, what's the other one? MIFA, M-E-F-A, MIFA.org. That's the Mass Education Foundation, right? That's another good one that has a lot of information about loans, particularly, um, borrowing money for school. 
Okay, so when we hit calculate for this hypothetical person here, uh, mom and dad make gross $225,000. They don't have a whole, well, I guess, yeah, arguable. I guess I was going to say they don't have a whole lot of money outside of retirement, but they do. They've got three hundred grand, including a couple hundred and five twenty-nine. So that's that's certainly a good a good amount. Um, so their expected family contribution is five. I'm sorry, fifty-six thousand dollars per year. So I so th that's a big number. Um, Granted, mom and dad make $225,000, so they make a good income. So I went in, then of course, you know, I love my numbers. So I went into our software and I, and I like, I popped in a couple that makes 225 gross, right? And on our software, we'll basically do what I was, in a, in a very uh, formal way, we'll do what I was doing quickly on my spreadsheet for the student. But if someone that makes, a married couple making $225,000 and let's assume that they put, you know, let's assume they're they're putting 30 grand away in retirement plans, 25, 30 grand in retirement plans. Um, I went in and I sort of figured out, I, I tried to figure out what is, I, I don't know if I can use the term average, but but someone that makes that much money, do they really have an extra $5,000 a month. Most likely, no, right? They're, because, you know, if you add up things like, especially this is a family of five, right? And and the kids are, you know, older and they're in activities probably and all and all that stuff. So, you're, you know, I don't think it's, oh, here, let me pull up some hours. You know, I, it's not unreasonable in this area of the world for a family with three kids to be spending... 10, 11,000 bucks a month, right? And so after this this married couple making 225, after they pay their federal state FICA taxes of 50, 55,000 dollars, after they save maybe 25,000, 30,000 dollars into 401k's, their, you know, that the, then their spendable income is down to what is that? 80 um, what's 225 minus like 80,000, 85,000, that's like 140,000, right? So if, so if that, you know, again, right off the top, again, we're assuming they're responsible putting, putting money in retirement plans, you know, certainly that could go, but, but just, just federal state payroll taxes right there could be like 50, 55,000. And, and again, it's not unreasonable, you know, in this area of the world for someone with three kids to, to have expenses of 10,000, 11,000 bucks a month. So that, you know, I, I just, I don't know that many people that have, that make that much money and that's good money, but how, but do they really have the ability, right? To, to be, to, to spend, to spend $55,000 a year on college times four years times three kids, which is what the software is saying. Again, I, I, exactly. my, Without there. taking loans, without taking loans, without taking loans, right? And so, you know, again, yes, this this person has you know money in the five twenty nine. It's not going to go that far at sixty grand a year times three kids. But my my point in going through this exercise, and I want to stay on this after the break. But my point in going through this is there is a, in my opinion, a huge discrepancy in 
what your expected family contribution is on that piece of paper. Well, I guess that was on the website, right? On that calculator. And what is re- what you can realistically afford to pay for your student. Again, I'm focusing there on, on cash flow, but, you know, of course we could factor in assets as well. Okay, um, I'm on a roll, and that's a bummer. But we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and we will um, have more conversations about how much college can you afford. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. Check out our podcast. Search your podcast app for McNamara on Money. Check us out at McNamaraFinancial.com. We're not going anywhere though. We still have a whole another hour, so we're just taking a quick break, and we'll be right back.